let me ask you something. What is care? In healthcare education, we use that word all the time. But what is it? My name is Mario Veen, and in this episode we will discuss the article Because We Care, a philosophical investigation into the spirit of medical education. I wrote this article together with Camilo Cocha. It's the eighth installment of the Philosophy in Medical Education series of the journal Teaching and Learning in Medicine. And it will also be published as a book chapter in the edited volume that Anna Cianciolo and I are working on now, which is called Helping a Field See Itself, Envisioning a Philosophy of Medical Education. In our article, Camilo and I argue that medical education should pay attention to the concept of care, in the same way that medicine does with the concept of health. In healthcare education, care is the most important and fundamental term. We use Being and Time, a philosophical work by Martin Heidegger, to suggest a conception of care that encompasses all its meanings. From empathy, to advocacy, to medical treatment and the infrastructure of healthcare. Camilo is a medical doctor from South Africa. Currently he works as a senior house officer at Letterkenny University Hospital Department of Hematology. He has a special interest in existentialist philosophy, German idealism and phenomenology. Camilo has also published a book chapter together with Sven Schaapkens called In Pursuit of Time, an inquiry into kairos and reflection in medical practice and health professions education. My co-host today is Dr. Adina Kallet. Adina is a general internist and the Stephen and Shalek Rule Endowed Chair of the Robert D. and Patricia E. Kern Institute for the Transformation of Medical Education at the Medical College of Wisconsin. I hope I pronounced that right. She has spent her career building the evidence base for ensuring health professions education produces excellent health professionals committed to and capable of caring for the health of the public with character. Yeah, so we're in three different parts of the world. Where are you, Adina? Right now I'm in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, right in the center of our country, right? And you're American? I'm American born. I, I, am, an, I am a New Yorker, uh, which is, a, is as, as a regional as being from Holland or... <laughs> <laughs> <from anywhere. laughs> so I moved uh, about, I spent most of my, I grew up in New York and trained and did all my, uh, did 32 years of my career in New York. And then um, two and a half years ago, I moved to Milwaukee to become the director of an Institute for the Transformation of Medical Education uh, at the Medical College of Wisconsin. So I'm new, I'm new to this location, um, relatively. And then of course, COVID made every made everything interesting over the last three years so <laughs> yeah and i'm a dutch person in in holland so that's kind of boring in terms of uh, location and nationality but i think camilo has the most interesting combination yeah my, my mother's dutch and my father's italian and then i was born in south africa and studied there um, and worked there until uh, december last year and then i came across to ireland in hope of uh, sort of furthering my career in hematology. So yeah, I ended up here. It's cold. It's colder. <laughs> You're not used to this, are you? <laughs> cold, cold and rainy. The, yeah, yeah. 
the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, so I have to say that um, that in our institute, we actually of of the many activities we do, uh, we're a very comprehensive institute thinking and rethinking about transforming medical education. We have a laboratory uh, that's focused on the philosophies of medical education transformation. And so I, I think that's, uh, I'm very interested in your paper, but I'm, I'm most interested in the talking to the two of you about how philosophical analysis kind of informs how you think about medical education. And I love the, I, I love the idea of caring as a lead. Our mission in the, our institute is um, to transform medical education to align with the needs of the public, um, with character, caring, and competence um, obvious to all. So this is very important. It's an important concept for, for, for me and my day-to-day -day work. So um, can we start, Camila? Um, Tell, tell us a little bit about your story uh, in terms of your medical training, because we're going to, I hope we're going to be talking mostly about, you know, why philosophy, um, but it would be nice to know your context first. So, so I, um, I studied in, a, in medicine out, out in a small town in the center of South Africa called Bloemfontein. Um, it's not especially impressive, but it is uh, impressively poor. So um, it's, and, and South Africa has these, I'm sure you've seen some of the pictures, has these incredible socioeconomic divisions that, you know, really were formalized in apartheid and, and still linger. So we had quite, um, you know, quite academic training um, and quite intense training in the sense that it was aligned with sort of global expectations, but we were practicing medicine in, in places where, you know, when it would rain, it would flood and you would be practicing medicine in, uh, you know, two inches of water. You would still order your CT scans, you'd still have access to all this investigation, but also you would send patients home to live, you know, in a, in a little hut they built themselves. So it was really, um, you know, it was quite a schism between, you know, these international uh, outlooks on education that, that, you know, we really want to push our students to be academic, we really want to, them to be on the cutting edge of science, but also, you know, the, the, the poverty that we were in, it, it was quite a disconnect. And then when I went on and, and did my practical training, so in South Africa, it's two years of internship and a year of community service, I did that in, in the poorer um, districts of Cape Town, you know, lots of gang violence, and really the same thing. Um, you know, fantastic training, uh, high standards of, of academic knowledge, but also, you know, we'd have patients who say couldn't, uh, couldn't get their insulin because people were shooting outside. So it was this, this crazy kind of, you know, these two worlds where we were being trained to go into, you know, Harvard uh, Medical School or Oxford and, you know, be on that level. But really, you know, you can't, you can't work it. You can't work like that when you don't have, um, first of all, the equipment, and and your patients aren't living normal lives. So it was really that that incredible disconnect that that started everything off. You know, there's and and that's that's the disconnect that really started modern philosophy in some ways. Um, you know, Kant's critique of pure reason is is really an attack on everyone before Hume who was 
you know, constructing these beautifully sound philosophical castles in the sky, as they, as we now call them. Um, and, and that was really Kant's critique, is that we really have to have a, a philosophy that's based in, in substantial reality. So that, that was really, I, I thought philosophy during education, or at least during my experience, was always there. And it just sort of had to be unearthed. Um, and I think that's, that's, where, that, that's where it started. I, I think there were a few other moments through you know reading going through the history of medicine which is horrible yeah <laughs> the history There's of many, medicine is many challenges you know, in the history of medicine yeah oh awful i, I mean even <laughs> even you know the i mean i think it was just holocaust remembrance day the other day and um, right. and i i think in a, in around 19 the 1960s mid 1960s when when the holocaust became kind of a cultural symbol something that we all knew about as horrible was really when the medical experiments were unearthed that's the you know the the, the experiments of twins particularly so and 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 when it comes to uh, you know moments in medical history like the tuskegee experiment that everyone knows about um you know the the thalidomide uh the history of thalidomide and, and how how that created the whole fda you know, these are massive moments in history and they really can be quite awful. So I had these, I had these, these, these kind of um, questions that were really, how is it that in medicine where we think we're helping people, we're also capable of the most you know, insane cruelty. Um, and, and then I had a second question, which was how is that kind of capacity for cruelty already in medical thought, already in medical training? So, so this was, this was, this paper was kind of a critique. It was aiming at what is really behind medical thinking. So um, I think that's where it really began. Um, mm -hmm. And when, when I was looking at it, um, I, I came across Heidegger's particular concept of care and how that really gets to some of the presuppositions of where medical thinking really begins. Right. So let me let me um, take you to the very concrete here in the paper for just a minute or so we can, uh, for the listening public, we can understand the case that brought this forward, or at least the one you share. And I'm gonna read it out loud and I, I want you to sort of, let's un unpack it together. Um, so you, uh, somewhere in your career, I'm, I'm understanding this is, a real case that you experienced where there was a junior resident um, who was seeing a patient after hours uh, as a referral from the emergency room. And the resident noticed that a blood test was required as what we usually call in the United States routine admission labs, right? There were, um, but the patient was reluctant to have blood drawn and had had a series of unsuccessful blood draws and was had a, had, it was obvious on her arms, her arms were bruised. Um, she was restless and uncomfortable. And the resident was deeply empathic with that discomfort so much so that uh, the, the resident decided not to draw the blood. Um, and then on the, the next morning, as is wont to happen all over the world, and as you said, in the ivory tower of medicine on rounds, the attending asks for the blood test results. And uh, 
the resident is at a loss. Now, I, you know, you don't describe what that looks like, but it does, uh, that one question is, does she admit that she didn't draw the lab? Does she explain herself or does she even have that level of awareness yet about why she did what she did? Um, but anyway, you, you, you go on to describe that the attending is annoyed, uh, that, that decision-making is delayed because the lab findings are not available and that, um, the attending seems to be judging the resident at, as not caring, right? As a, you know, being careless. Um, and then you go on for pages in your paper and I, and I recommend reading them in detail, um, sort of taking this apart in terms of the different ways in which care is, is present in this story. And I wonder, can you, either take us back to that moment, which role were you playing and um, how did that bring all of this forward? Well, um, I, I was actually a passive observer in this. Yeah. And, uh, um, I was sort of between two, two people and, you know, there were the, the details that, that are in reality were, were that this, this junior resident had actually made a lot of effort to get uh, this, this particular patient, you know, a series of investigations, opinions from different departments, what should be done. Um, and when they came to this patient, they, they sort of, I don't know if it was conscious. I was just, I was just observing. I just noticed it, in, you know, out of the corner of my eye that they just didn't do it. And um, it was actually the receiving doctor who's a relative of mine um, who was really, you know, irritated because this is such a high pressure environment, you know, decisions have to be made and, uh, and, and they couldn't make those decisions because, because they, they didn't have the results available. And I, I remember talking to herself you know, almost out loud, you know, <laughs> how doctors tend to do, you know, rather than confrontation, it was sort of just, you know, does this person even care? And, you know, I had watched this, per, this, this junior doctor make a huge effort um, and if that, that effort had been noted, you know, these, these results might have even seemed trivial. But from the, from the receiving end, I can also understand the position of, of the, 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 the doctor receiving this patient who has to now make a decision based on, you know, less than they would, you know, prefer. And, and so I, I think that it was interesting that the, the, the concept of care got brought up at this point. Does this person care? And I thought, yes, this person cares a great deal, but why, why was it a judgment and not a, a moment for sort of learning? Because this person did care, but they also had to be taught that the real crux of this case would have been contained in those blood results. So, so both of those things, both the effort and doing the bloods were both caring and noticing that the patient is, you know, uncomfortable and doesn't really want blood, but that also has to be addressed. You know, that, that all has to come together and, and that navigation that, you know, the junior resident failed to do, that's where education needs to step in, not step out and judge. So, so that, that kind of, um, I, I just, I use that example because I, I felt like it brought a lot about how to raise, how to sort of raise the bar of actually where education stands in, in, in this mess of day-to-day of -day medicine. I mean, it's interesting to me in most of the paper that you, you, stick, you stick pretty close to healthcare education and you keep, you keep emphasizing that 
of those three words, the piece we understand least <laughs> is the care piece. And I like this case because you could imagine from her point of view, from the, from the resident's point of view, this was a values conflict. She was being asked to do something she felt was potentially wrong, you know, hurting, causing pain, discomfort, without thinking, like you said, of the ultimate longer term manner of caring for this patient, which meant helping understand what was going on with the patient and then making good clinical decisions. And she didn't really have that perspective or she couldn't, that perspective couldn't rise above this, what sometimes feels to trainees like a values conflict, right? How, how dare you ask us to hurt, hurt someone in pursuit of information that would help them ultimately. So sometimes people call this moral injury, which is interesting. I don't know if you're following that argument, which we're, we're talking a lot about in our institute, which is, you know, when, when physicians are asked to do things that don't feel right, how do you educate someone to get out of that moment, <laughs> the particulars of the moment and think more broadly about what caring means for this patient? What would, what would you have wanted your relative be attending in this case to have done or said that would might've accomplish that educational goal? Well, I, I think, I think, you know, it, it would have, hmm, I mean, that's a great question. And as all of your questions have been really fantastic. So um, I would say that this would be a teaching moment because you, the, the person doesn't understand the, the person not doing the bloods, you know, what, what the real crux, you know, what, what the real underlying logic that care must follow in order for this person to receive what they need. And, and, and you see, the, 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 these two kind of um, ways, these two kind of uh, sort of spheres that I, that I see that I've been, I've been uh, criticized of saying this, but, but for simplicity's sake, I'm gonna stick to it. Um, that in, in a way, there's these sort of empathy, you know, you know, not wanting to hurt someone, but also these like concrete physiological needs. And for most people, uh, they can't treat their body in, in the in, in, as a as a set of concrete physiological needs. You know, they're treated as as kind of a slightly in a, in a mystical way. You know, like something that they've been ignoring for years that has suddenly cropped up. You know, that's the nature of the illness. It's it's disruptive of our ignorance of our own body, and that's what makes it so distressing. But um, in a way, I was trying to draw those two spheres together under one kind of um, form, some one kind of form of thought, which was that actually both the physiological needs and empathy are both under the realm of care. And so can be examined together as the same, as part of the same kind of thing. Um, and, and so that, that's why I thought it was a, a, an in, a, a, maybe not an interesting, that's up to the reader to decide, yeah. but I, I felt it was an interesting way to sort of open up this to, to philosophical discussion. You know, what's interesting is you, uh, and I'm just going to read back to you what you, the two of you wrote, but, but uh, you know, you asked the question, why do students care less as a result of medical training, right? So why are they taught to privilege one mode of caring over another? And this is, it seems to be a moment, right? This is, you're describing a moment where in that moment, the educator, and again, that 
attending is wearing many hats, but one hat is to educate that trainee um, has to balance, like you said, has to balance those two, maybe doesn't even have the words for it. But to judge the resident as not caring is not accurate, is what you're saying, right? She, in fact, is caring. She's just privileging one kind of care over the other. And he's potentially about to um, humiliate her around that uh, and potentially not help her balance the two, right? To really understand the trade-offs that, that one has to make in, in, in caring deeply in both ways, in all ways, right? In the urgent, immediate, in the, I for, I'm forgetting the language you use, but the, in that just in time, just in place kind of way where right now this woman doesn't wanna draw blood because the patient has had enough, but in the long run, in the not so long run future, in the, in the future sense, caring probably what is more important in the longer run is to, cause pain and suffering in a yeah. minor way in order to kind of pursue the longer, but, but, but that's what trainees, doc physicians have to learn that yeah, complex thought process, right? And I, I think what's, what's missing in medical education is something I've, I felt very deeply, not, not because uh, <laughs> I'm anything special, anything, but, uh, um, but I really felt that um, that was missing. In, in my particular education was, was that really, it is horrible to, to what we sometimes do to patients. You know, an appendicectomy is, you know, a laparotomy or a thoracotomy, it's awful. You know, you, you wouldn't, it's, it's really, really terrifying what we do. Um, it can be painful, you know, it's disruptive. Um, and, you know, definitely I'm in a job now where we give chemotherapy and it, it can be really, uh, really awful for the patient but even yeah. giving a diagnosis you know even even telling someone they have a new disease is really it is and you, were, you use the beautiful word humiliating you know which 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 is um something i would have liked to bring in from heidegger but but the the humiliation comes from the uh from, from the word humus like uh earth like humus the the earth and it really is the the knowledge that your body is a body is finite is comes from the earth. So, so, you know, in a way, disease is already quite degrading, humiliating. And, and, and what doctors do is they participate in it. Right. And then guide you out of it. But as humans, right, as part of their being, they participate in oh, absolutely. very, very difficult things uh, for good reasons or not. As you, as you started, right, you started by saying, you know, there are high profile examples in modern history of physicians doing terrible things for the wrong reasons. Um, it's, it's interesting to me, you know, you also say that the place of, you're arguing for the place of philosophy in this, you know, in our healthcare education endeavor. And uh, I love that you said uh, it, that it's not really to teach categorical determinations, right? Of what's right or wrong or good or bad. In fact, that's, that's been the, the role of philosophers in medical education for the last 50 years or so in what we would call a very narrow biomedical ethics frame, you know, where there's a, a very deterministic kind of um, approach to, you know, that's, is it right or wrong to introduce yourself as a physician when you're not yet a physician? Is it right or wrong to withhold or withdraw life-saving care? 
And students get the sense, at those who haven't studied philosophy or really don't have a philosophical orientation, that that's the role of philosophy in medical education. And I, I would, I agree with your argument that it's not about the, the categorical determinations, but about the ability to ask the right questions in the right moments. And so I'm wondering, you know, you, um, you're a little further along in your education now and you're starting, you know, you're in this, I, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing that you're in a consultant role of a hematologist uh, or you're No, training. no, no. <laughs> I, 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 <laughs> Not yet. no, no, I wish um, I started right back down at the bottom again and oh. work my way up. <laughs> I was in research, um, uh, vaccine research for, for, for a little bit. Yeah, so, so let me ask you about this. So, this. so you're right in the middle of your training, really, right? I mean, you're still becoming, right? I mean, you're, you're becoming a physician and, and you're in the, they're deep in the active education frame. Um, you said, I love this analogy. You said health, healthcare education is a cake and care is not just one of its ingredients, but the laws of chemistry that guide the baking process. I think that was a nice, a, a nice way of saying we have these hidden these foundational ideas that we should care. And yet we, they're so hidden, they're so fu fundamental that um, we don't even talk, we don't have words to talk about them. And, you know, I, 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 so talk to me a little bit about what it's like to start giving chemotherapy to somebody to stop a cancer from taking their life or ending their life early. How do you think that through? Well, you know, there's, that's a good question again. Um, I, I would say I, I've read quite a lot sort of in, in, this, in this way. And as, as you just, just pointed out, these, these things are, you know, we're, we're, we are trying to deal with very um, ambiguous concepts because they're still sort of implicit in the way we deal with everyday medical life. You know, there's there's a lot of the I would say that the general consensus is that we approach it like according to the guidelines. You know, with a diagnosis which is matched with a treatment, um, and I think externally, you know, if you were communicating to uh, another hematologist, for example, they they might give you the answer. Look, I simply just go through the process. And I simply give chemotherapy that's needed. But, you know, for, for instance, we, we had a patient who was for a, a smart drug, these new monoclonal antibodies, as well as chemotherapy for his treatment. And he would consent to, he said, he was a very, very educated man, said, I want the monoclonal antibodies, but my father had chemotherapy and suffered greatly until he died. And he refused the chemotherapy part. So now there was this kind of, you know, can we, we can't now go according to the guidelines. The guidelines are clear that you need the monoclonal antibody and chemotherapy, but now we can only, he's only consenting to one, can we give it? And it was, I wouldn't say chaos in the department, but there was so much energy expended into trying to navigate this, that there must be something else at work. You know, it can't just be, oh, they won't consent to this, we'll just do this, you know, you know, kind of cold-hearted pragmatism, just do what, what, uh, what we should. And you're saying that the, that the language they used to speak about making those choices is actually blaming the patient. 
Yeah, I, I would say that that does happen. Yeah. Um, and I, I, I think what happens is, is, is that this, this process, this kind of formalization becomes very bureaucratic and bureaucratic as you know, those, those beautiful films, uh, I didn't know if you saw Brazil, um, that, that beautiful film by, by yeah, the, the old Monty gonna, old Python. Sounds like a film recommendation on your podcast here, yeah. Brazil, yeah. And, and of course, all, all of Franz Kafka, uh, the trial, etc. You know, the bureaucracy is never just the bureaucracy. It's kind of a spiritual process. It's, it's, it's immediately spiritualized. And, and so when you see these kind of uh, events happen that are so disruptive, it's a patient saying, I want that and not that. And it took three weeks for the doctors to find, okay, fine, we'll do that and not that. So in a way, um, that's, that's what I'd, I'd like to unearth, you know, how, how uh, um, what, what's really at work. And just by making that explicit, that's what I would hope to, to show that there might be another way of, of doing this, of thinking completely about health and disease. So when you say, what's it like to give chemotherapy? I would say, I really, I really can't stand cancer. I don't find it interesting at all. I find it really despicable. You know, I find it's, it's mindless. It's just the cell that's dividing. I hate it. <laughs> I can't stand it. I have no romantic, I just, I feel that I'm fine exterminating it. And if it's gone, that's if I never had to work a day in my life because disease was eradicated, I'd be fine with that. <laughs> so um, I, I do my best to not spiritualize the way the process of a disease happens. I try to keep it in mind that the disease is mindless. And, and so chemotherapy is a kind of, it's a, it's a, it's a destructive force. Uh, and that's my responsibility. So on, on one hand, I'm not in control of who's going to react badly, who's going to die of the chemotherapy, but it's still my responsibility, even if, even if it's the patient's consented choice to go ahead with it. So I would say that's, that's kind of, it's, it's somewhat of a tragic position, I would say, or I hope, mm -hmm. but, um, I, but- It sounds very tragic and heroic at the same time. Well, a, maybe, right? maybe heroic. <laughs> well, in that, in that you need to have a um, you need to have a mindset that you are in a, some kind of battle against evil, right? You're, you've got, you've you said that, which is why I'm um, right. I, I guess somebody could speak up for the cancers that we kill, but um, but generally we see them as as uniformly evil. I, you know what I'm trying to get at here is you know you you talk in the paper a little bit about the fact that becoming a physician is not a mechanical formulaic process, right? As you said, and the practice of medicine is also not a mechanical formulaic process, although we are for all sorts of good reasons, trying to, you know, manualize the treatments of certain kinds. You know, we wanna make sure there's some standards around what we know are best practices. But, but what then you go on to say is that it, becoming a physician means really acknowledging and embracing the fact that it's an immersive and reflective process, right? Like it's in, in all that complexity, the, the most important thing we can do is immerse ourselves in thinking about the implications of caring in this situation. Like you care deeply in a negative way about cancer, 
right, in a very negative way. Um, and I guess, you know, the other thing you go on to say, and I, uh, again, I, I, in my field in, you know, trying to think about medical education as, as instilling as much character, character in a positive sense and caring in the individuals who are on this journey to becoming physicians, that they can have these difficult, they can survive these very difficult situations where decision-making is so complex. One way to do that is to just ignore the complexity. And another way is to engage with it. And you've chosen to engage. Um, in this case, with the philosophy of being, right? Of being human. Um, and I guess I just, I really want to hear, you know, how, um, one of the things you say is that that of our trainees, we demand that they are sufficiently motivated to care about becoming competent healthcare professionals. Like you said, you're you're on a mission, right? You are on a social mission initially, right? You know, because you recognize that social inequities are not given privilege in our training, right? We're not uh, it, more and more so they are, by the way, but but uh, certainly not ubiquitously around the world, and and that but they're always there. It's always there. And it's always part of the calculation and you could ignore it or you could engage with it. If you engage with it, you're, the challenge is how to, how to remain capable of functioning. Yeah, um, so there, there, there's sort of two kind of ways of going about it that I, that I was uncovering in my reading. And, and the one was really difficult to unearth um, in, in the primary text about medicine, as, as you said, um, the, up until sort of maybe 10, 10 years ago, it's mostly been the position of philosophy of, in, in medicine has been, you know, what is right, what is wrong, as you said before. Right. Um, but there was, this, there was this article that came out, and I think it was about 1998, which was, oh, fascinating. I, it was, I loved it. But it was a man who said, who was arguing, he said, do doctors even need to care? What if we had a, um, what if we had a, this, imagine this great doctor, young woman comes in every day, does her job, is kind, is ethical. Um, but when she goes home, she does not care one bit about her patients. She has no second thought whether they live or die, um, but she still does her best to treat them. And, I imagined that for a second and I thought, you know, if you're in a, a perfect system, a system that catches all of your little mistakes, a system that has everything you need for the patient, the patients uh, can pay for their own uh, medication, investigations, and you don't need to care. That might, might be true. The system is so built up around you that you're completely relieved of the responsibility. But I couldn't imagine working in an environment like, um, like I was. And if you didn't do something for a patient, they would die. That's, it's simple as that. If you didn't go and prescribe the medication at four in the, mo in the morning, no nurse was going to just double check that you had done it. And so that, that kind of, social paradigm, that kind of looking at the broader picture, that kind of looking at ethics, I wanted to bring all that together and say, all of us, everything is care. 
everything can be looked at like this with this temporal structure you know you do a test you do a blood test because you 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 want to know where this disease is going but for the same reason you you might hold back on a on an investigation because there's no value in it you might find something that you're not going to treat anyway you or might the trade off for the patient might be too much right yeah, so you might hold off precisely. On something right but it, you see this the this is the, the kind of lens of care that I was trying to bring all this together with. And of course, that task is far too big for one paper. <laughs> no, and you try, yeah, no, I do, I do appreciate that. You took on a lot in this paper. Uh, you know, one of the things you talked about, I, I, I wanna ask you about God terms here. Um, you, you say that uh, thinking about the education, you wanna think about the education process as, the care, as a caring process. That's almost never emphasized. Uh, that the actual that that the agency of the actual individual becoming a physician is often not in, involved in the philosophical debates, right? We don't we don't think about the physician as an agent uh, in that case where it, the physician has to make very difficult decisions and ask the right questions in order to make those decisions. Um, but there's there's some kind of external set of principles that somehow are you know should guide all all great decisions as opposed to the humanity of the person. So and you also distinguish between intimate and assertive caring. Uh, yeah. Talk about that a bit. Oh, to be honest, uh, I I think that may be one of the weaker points of our paper. But let's. What, what I was trying to get across there was really that that, um, that care uh, care can be intimate, you know, like it can be between two people, between a mother and a child. I think that was the example we used. But yep. care could also be, you know, organizing an urgent MRI for this patient who suddenly can't walk. So that was it was just it was really the kind of texture. Of, of the of the event and what we were facing um, and I was I was really just trying to say that these are two sides of the same coin they're both care you know in the United States I don't know if this is true uh, around the world but you can help me in the United States because uh, health care is so commercialized mm -hmm. there are billboards on the highways that say we care yeah I think you actually even mentioned it. In that the was paper, one right? of our inspirations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's banners, you know, we care more. No, we care more. You know, there's some competition. And so I, I, I guess I, I enjoy thinking about the intimate caring versus the assertive caring, right? The, the system can assertively care for patients. They can either do the right thing, facilitate, facilitate the, get, the access to certain kinds of testing, certain kinds of treatment for all people evenly despite their ability to pay you know those are those are principles but a physician can also engage as an individual in assertive care like you said you could stay longer go out of your way to get that mri or the ct scan when somebody otherwise can't do it or you could go home and say i did my job right and i cared i was kind i was intimately caring i was a good person but I didn't assertively care uh, in that situation. And we don't always help people distinguish between those two sides or the two extremes, right? Not, not, they're not two sides, it's kind of on a continuum. 
you also say in your paper, and I want to ask you about this, you use the word spirit, um, saying that care is the spirit of medical education, of health, of health care education. It seems like another one of those words. Spirit. <laughs> yeah. I'm wondering, I'm yeah. wondering where that came from and why you felt the need to kind of um, spiritualize the role of care in, in health education. I, I think, Maria, correct me if I'm wrong. I, I think I, I really want that word in there. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, I think it was more along the lines of uh, the way Hegel uses the word spirit. Hegel uses the word spirit in the sense of human-minded activity. And what's, what's really, what this whole process boiled down to, for me at least, when I was, you know, sitting in my room frustrated at why, why I couldn't say the things that I, I wanted to say, sort of came down to, um, to this attempt at a, a Hegelian way at looking at medical education. You know, what are its presuppositions? So what, what does it assume before it can even start? And, um, and so it was kind of a nod to that underlying medical education is human-minded activity. That is to say, values, principles, institutions, you know, the reification of, of these values and, uh, and groups and, and institutions, are, they all kind of work together in some way. That doesn't mean there's no contradictions between them. Doesn't mean they don't have there's opposing There's a lot of values. tensions, right? There's a lot of tensions as we've talked about. Sure. Yeah. Absolutely. And, and, and so I wanted to try and, and nod, give a, a little nudge to that's what we were aiming for. So yeah. I wouldn't say it's, it was aiming towards spiritualization, you know, in, in a sort of, uh, in a um, colloquial sense, but, yeah. but more towards this, this kind of spirit. It made me, it made me giggle just to see it in there. Cause <laughs> I, I, I realized that, you know, talking to true philosophers, you know, people who really want to think deeply and, and, and with, with humanity around these things. I think that I like the use of the word. I just want to give you a. I like these titles that, that these words that can have multiple meanings, all of which are valid. <laughs> we could say essence as well, Yes. but in the, in the context of what we're trying to say and Heidegger's philosophy, it's existentialist. Then you can think of spirit as something that gives life to something. Mm-hmm. But even I think connecting it to spirituality would be okay if you, uh, I have this quote by Laszlo Goff and Russell, where they say that spirituality is a private matter reflecting the relationship between the individual and the cosmos. So if you think very deeply, what is my relationship to everything? Yeah. Like we could think, what is, what is the most basic thing we could say about healthcare education and how does it relate to trainees and everything like that and whether you've i mean uh, if you say well i'm a materialist i only believe that that what i can touch is real that's mm -hmm. in in that definition that's a spiritual attitude but it's a very basic attitude to to um not not just to life but to everything to death as well to yeah, I, we, we won't have time to talk about ontic and ontologic, but uh, it's sort of, uh, you, you spend some time in your paper, you know, really exploring these 
these fundamentals, these fundamental ways of looking at the world. I, I agree with you. Can I say one thing about that? Please. Well, Heidegger is notoriously difficult and we tried not to use any of his, you know, hyphenated terms and everything, but we thought, okay, this is the one distinction we have to put in there. Antic is basically beings, so mm -hmm. things, uh, entities, you could say, categories. You could say a human being has two feet, has certain type of DNA, everything like that. That's antic and ontological is relating to being. So what's very distinctive about Heidegger's being in time is that he says we've been focusing on the antic a lot, mm -hmm. but we have forgotten about the ontological. And I think it actually relates to something that is happening in medical education, for instance, around prof professional identity formation, where people are saying we, we shouldn't just focus on what a physician uh, or a healthcare provider, what, what, what he, uh, he or she does, or what, what, if, what they think, or what qualities they have, but also their being. So then we're asking them to relate to their being. And that means if you think about what, what kind of doctor do I want to become? That's actually a, a very, that's an ontological question. It's also a spiritual question because you have to think about, you know, what does a, what does a doctor do? Not just a doctor in general, but me as a doctor, what can I contribute to this? So that's kind of the level that we try to go to. And then um, it, yeah. I'm speaking way too long about this, but the, the idea is that we've been focusing on antic manifestations of care. For instance, you can right. say the healthcare system as an economic and logistical system and caring as empathy. And those are ontically, they're completely different things, but ontologically, they're part of the same care. That's what we're trying to say. Yeah, I think it was very, actually, again, I, I encourage the listening audience to read the paper in detail because you do very simply describe why that's important. Uh, you know, certainly I didn't understand it before reading it. I, I now do. And I think it's very important. So in this last couple of minutes, can you, um, either of you talk about uh, what you're hoping putting this paper out into the world will bring next? I have to say this paper is very special to me. Of course, all of my papers are special, but I've been studying Heidegger for 20 years and I've been working in medical education for a little over 10 years and for the first years I was doing my medical education job and in my other life I would do philosophy and I never thought I could combine them well Anna Cianciolo uh, is the editor-in-chief of teaching and learning she gave me this opportunity as well but then a couple of years ago I started thinking of this idea of looking at being in time and making a direct line to uh, medical education but I didn't think it was possible to do that in the inside of the like the genre and the culture of the medical education journals until I met Camilo it was what is it now two years ago or something and I thought okay we can do it together <laughs> mm -hmm. so uh, what I'm hoping to achieve first of all is that people read the paper and it's really meant to yeah, to get you to think, to, to ask questions, and hopefully people will also criticize it and disagree with it, but I hope people will engage with it. That's my hope. And you, Camilla? 
Well, I, I was just pleased to hear the name of the, uh, the institution that you work for, I believe, the, with the transformation of medical education. Is that correct? <laughs> I'm going to do a little, a little plug here. It's the Robert D. and Patricia E. Kern Institute for the Transformation of Medical Education at the Medical College of Wisconsin. And we're very, very interested in exactly what you just described and the work you're doing in, the, in that we don't feel we can move forward in meaningful ways without engaging with the deeper, the deeper questions, um, the most, the more important questions. So I, I would say, you know, in, in transforming medical education, I, I would, I would hope that moving forward in, in, in the way we think about medical education, we can start to teach students not only, you know, how to appear as though they're caring or to uh, have an internal experience of uh, what, what they think care is, but really to, when, when they're faced with a kind of choice of a very material uh, kind of um, procedure related, with something related to process the normal procedures of everyday life, or that they could do something else, something more, that they could argue for both ways. And I, I think if I could give an example, I would say it's very easy to do a daily blood test on a patient and see their creatinine slowly creeping up as they, as they die. And you're, if you know you're, they're going to die, it's very easy to just let go and do the daily blood test. But it's very hard to go to the patient and tell them that they're dying or to go to the family and explain. It's, it's quite easy to sit back. And I, and I think that, that sit, attitude of sitting back and just following the process, um, that's, that's where the humanity gets lost. So I would say, you know, to, if, if, if students, if junior doctors could start to really argue intellectually for these things that are softer skills, I put in quotation marks, if they could argue those, the principles and the importance of those things intellectually, that we can really, we can really change the way medicine appears to the public. This has been really uh, wonderful to get to read you deeply and uh, and then to, to talk about some of these ideas. We could go on for a long time. Yeah, for um, sure. And, and I would love to go on for a long time, but I encourage you to keep um, to keep thinking this deeply about this particular topic. Um, there's a a reading audience, I can promise you, that is uh, going to engage with you. Yeah, thank you so much. And we, I mean, we talked about care now, but it's actually what we're trying to do is to to encourage people to think deeply about the fu fundamental concepts we use in medical education. And I think you're, you know, we're in the same mission, what you're doing around the, the concept of character. Yeah. Um, yeah, really just think deeply about what what are the words that we use every day and uh yeah see where that leads i have to we might have to go back to aristotle for that one <laughs> thank you so much lovely to meet you too yeah thank you thank you for listening i did an episode with camilo for my other podcast live from plato's cave it's an interdisciplinary philosophy podcast and the episode with camilo is called how doctors think so if you want to hear more from us, check out that episode. You can find the link in the description.